back by popular demand, but rebranded. This is the So Wizards podcast. My name is Ben Becker. My co-host is Wizards blogosphere legend, Kevin Broom. Hi, Kevin. Popular demand. It's what, I think two people, three people asked us? (laughs) Well, I wanted to say some thank yous to a handful of loyal listeners who've been clamoring for Kevin and me to get behind the mic, back behind the mic. Uh, definitely the Bullets Forever crew, especially Lindy, um, Daniel Barish, my brother Michael, David Dunn. There are um, definitely forgetting yeah. some people, but it is uh, legitimately cool to hear from folks that they like when Kevin and I gas bag about this pathetic team. So um, hit us up on Twitter and we'd be happy to uh, shout yeah. you out the next time we do this. Uh, with that said, Kevin... Ted Leonsis threw down the 50-win edict before the season, only to have the Wizards take a collective dump at half court and light it on fire. Uh, that's figurative, of course. Um, en route to a 1-7 record to start the season. So, Kevin, I ask you, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Well, you know, I wrote about this the other day for Bullets Forever, and... You know, we do a lot of talking about like X's and O's and the strategies and all that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of this comes comes down to effort and the culture on the team. And that is that personality disputes have been allowed to linger for too long and to the point where now they are coming up in ways and they're showing up on the court in terms of things like effort, where you see guys who are not running the floor to either end, you know, either offensively or defense, you know, you make a good play or a bad play on offense, and then guys are jogging back uh, to get back on defense. You don't see guys running hard to the offensive end. You see guys jogging through cuts. That just wrecks plays when you, you know, hand the ball. The plays are designed to work in, in coordinated timing. You know, you have one movement, and then you have another movement, and then you get Uh, an open shot or a basket. And when guys jog through cuts, it throws off the timing and it becomes really easy to defend. And we're seeing some of that with the Wizards this year. And you see it on, you know, they're they're running a switching defense, which means that there's almost always going to be a defender between the offensive guy and the basket. And somehow the Wizards still can't box out. You know, the guards aren't coming down to help rebound, even though they're playing with replacement level big men. You know, it's just all of that is not necessarily a symptom of laziness. You know, that's what it gets called. But I think a lot of that is that these guys don't like each other. They don't want to play together. They they don't play together as a team. Then nobody is playing for their teammate. And that shows up in the, the half-assed efforts and the jogging through and the not hustling because they're not playing for Nobody is playing for a cause that's bigger than themselves here are some ways in which that is playing out. Um, so the defense is just otherworldly pathetic. Um, they, uh, they're allowing, so, so we've talked about in the past and for anyone who's new with us, uh, Kevin and I, uh, take a little bit more of a, uh, analytical approach to, um, the basketball analysis. I just use analytical approach to analysis. (laughs) That's, um, I'm sure I've pissed off some English teachers there, but, um, but, but Kevin's a, an advanced stats expert. Uh, he's done a lot of research. He's developed, um, some of his own metrics. And, you know, one thing that's jumped out at me is, you know, 
and this is not news to anyone who's watched the team so far, the Wizards' defense is, is pathetic. They're allowing um, the fifth-worst effective field goal percentage defensively, and as we know, how well the other team shoots the ball is, is the main barometer in terms of how efficient uh, the opposition's offense is. So the, the defensive effective field goal percentage of 55% is bad, and on top of that, when the opposing offense does miss, the Wizards have the second-worst defensive rebounding rate in the league, which means when the other team does miss, they're getting an offensive rebound nearly a third of which, the time which just, to continue just that to possession. sort of emphasize, underscore that point, most, offense, most teams in the league are basically not trying to get offensive rebounds. Most teams are prioritizing getting back on defense and not offensive rebounding. So the Wizards are literally not able to get defensive rebounds against opponents who, for the most part, don't really care about getting offensive rebounds. Yeah, we know from lots of research and verified by common sense and eye tests and all that sort of thing, the best defense forces the opposing offense to take undesirable shots, which they miss, and then the defense rebounds them. And basically, the Wizards are not doing any of that. And that is clearly very much related to the dynamics that you were describing where uh, these guys just, they're not on the same page. They're not trying hard. And perfect example, Umer Khan, the great Umer Khan, uh, who who does, uh, who used to do the most awesome um, mini film breakdowns for Bullets Forever. He, he, you know, he was on Twitter this morning on, on Saturday morning, just showing some examples of where John Wall would get in a defensive stance, you know, do everything short of slap the floor and bust his ass for the first two and a half seconds of a possession and then stand up and trail his man to the lane, yeah. try to yeah. poke it free from behind, and and, and that was that. Yeah. And it's just, so, so even when there is effort, it is, it's short-lived, it's not sustained, and, and that's just sort of one micro example, uh, you know, in, in looking at the problems that, plague the team and the franchise you you cannot possibly point to one thing at, at this point they are sort of diseased throughout yeah it, and it's a catastrophic um, breakdown of everything that they do and and t- so to that end like leonsis before the season said you know the goal is to win 50 games the expectations to win 50 games and the the analytics driven models sa- said that's probably not going to happen. Right. They're more likely to win, um, you know, 43-44 games, right? That, that's, what, that's what your projection had? I had them at, uh, I think, 46. And so, but most of the projections, the stat guy projections were anywhere from like 46, 44 to about 46. I think there might have been a few as low as like 43 or 42. Oh, yeah. I mean, at this point, to win 50 games... They've got to go what forty nine and twenty five. So basically, yeah. you know, win two thirds of the games for the rest of the season, which is what a uh, you know fifty four win pace over. Um, yeah, more or less. Did I do that right? Yeah, something. It's, yeah. that's close uh, enough. <laughs> um, and you know, I mean, you think about the team that went on the crazy December January run a couple seasons ago, and. They have most of the same players. Uh, you know, they clearly have 
personnel that should be better than one and seven. Yeah, and this is um, this is the thing that I you know I wrote this and I've, I've I tweeted about it as well. But th- this is not about their ability to play basketball. You know, they they don't have like an elite talent or an elite producer because I think Wall has the capability of being elite and maybe Beal does too. And, you know, Porter was terrific last season, too. So, I mean, you've got three guys, though, who are at least in that very good category. And they, they all can play basketball. Dwight Howard can play. You know, Markeith Morris is an average, a little bit below average NBA player. He's not terrible, but he's, he's, he's not great. But my point is that they have enough playing ability to be a you know a 45 46 47 win team maybe if everything goes exactly right they could sneak up and get close to 50 you know something like that but the the point is it's not about their ability to play these guys can all play it's that they're not working and they're not playing together as a team and that i think goes back to the things that we were talking about the cultural things the jealousies the the desire to be the man the the resentment of teammates who um, get opportunities and excel or get opportunities and fail. You know, it, it, part of being a team is that you are supposed to be, at least in theory, <laughs> pulling for the success of your teammates because that helps you. But they have guys on that team who resent the success of their teammates and get jealous of it and uh, get threatened yeah. by it. And that's and so poison. That the, resentment is right. poison. They, they are an organization, you know, they are clearly not pulling in the same direction as a unit. You know, that's an understatement. They are the, um, I would say, unusual um, uh, situation where the, um, the whole is far less than the sum of its mm-hmm. parts. Um, the, the best... You know what's great about basketball is that it's a it's a collective, right? So the 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 best basketball teams that any of us have been a part of, whether it's in a pickup setting, whether it's in a you know your your high school team, your college team, or as a fan, is when you have that whole that's greater than the sum. Yeah. Uh, you know the 2014 Spurs are probably my favorite team of all time to and to make myself feel better i'll probably go watch um (laughs) that highlight video and maybe tweet it out later again but you know they are far less than the sum of their parts so let's talk about scott brooks a little bit because he's uh, long been someone who has been criticized by by basketball commenters for rudimentary X's and O's for very uncreative rotations. And that's, we can get into that in a little bit as it relates to the Wizards. Yeah. But, but, but that has been seemingly countered by his ability to galvanize a group. Guys like playing for him. And, and so, you know, th- those things have, have balanced themselves out to the point where he's been a, a you know, competent NBA coach. Mm-hmm. And, and, this group has clearly turned him out, uh, tuned him out, mm-hmm. I should say. And that begs a lot of hard questions because Brooks, you know, firing Brooks, Brooks would be crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're, you know, what do you do in that situation where you have a really expensive coach who, I mean, I watched a postgame press conference last night. He was at a complete loss. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, what do you do? What can Brooks do to save himself and turn this thing around? Or is it just, is it too far gone? <laughs> Those are good questions. So first, you know, Brooks is getting a lot of blame and I think he deserves some of it. I agree with a lot of the critiques of his offensive system. And he's done some very strange things this season. For example, you know, the public shaming of Otto Porter and uh, his shots and encouraging reporters to, you know, hammer hit Otto if he doesn't shoot enough. And then, you know, having the game plan for the first three or four games where literally Porter's job was simply to run to the corner and stand there and wait. And it's virtually impossible to get shots. And so now you've got like Otto taking like running, you know, runners in the lane and, you know, fadeaways in traffic and that kind of stuff. And and he's missing because they're, they're, they're shitty shots, you know, and that's not the kind of player that he's been throughout his career. He's been a guy who takes good shots. The only reason he's taking crappy shots is because the coaches are telling him, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And he doesn't get the ball. So there's there's virtually nothing. Now they finally, in the last couple games, three or four games, I guess, they've they've gotten him out of the baseline here and there. When Beal uh, left the game, was that against Golden State with the Bruce Sternum? Um, you know, they, yeah, they got Porter off of the baseline and he was out there, you know, running into the actions the way that Beal typically is. Um, he still didn't get the ball much. And uh, there's not a lot that Porter can do to get more shots without the ball. And, uh, you know, he, he is reliant because of his position and his skill set upon his teammates to get him the ball. So anyway, that's way off the subject of Scott Brooks. But what can Brooks do? I, I think that, you know, if if I was like the, the GM or <laughs> something like that, his boss, it would be tough to fire him with as much money as he has left on his contract, especially, you know, they paid him over market. Yeah, they paid him like he's an elite coach. He's not, but they paid him that way. So, which by the way, it is continues a long wizards tradition of paying guys a lot in hopes that they would just get better. Yeah. You know, this is like the the Andre Blatch extension where Leonsis even said like we don't want him to worry about his contract. We want him to feel secure and he'll uh you know, he'll grow into his potential. Yeah. And lo and behold, oh, you know, overpaying him did not make him good. Yeah. Um, and and there are not to mention Supermax John Wall, but we can talk about that. Yeah. Oh God. Day. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get to that eventually. But the other thing too is that one of the reasons, of course, that Brooks got top dollar is because he, that this is part of the failed effort to get Kevin Durant. They thought that hiring Brooks would help them recruit Durant. Durant, of course, never took the meeting. So they had this expensive coach who was supposed to help them get Durant. Their, their idea was that they were going to get Brooks and they were going to get Durant and then they would win. But do you really believe, do, do you really believe that, that there was their think that that was their thinking that a significant part of the reason they, they hired Brooks is because they thought it would help with, with, with the Durant? I, I believe, I believe that's what they thought that, that it, that it would help. Yes. Because I've talked to people, you know, connected people in and around the league who who have said that everyone knew, you know, as early as January, uh, 
you know, that there was just zero chance that he was coming to Washington. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they, if, if, if Look, I, I mean, Leontis and Grunfeld just put their head in the sand and said, we don't care what everyone says and everyone thinks we're yeah. still going to try and get him and this is the way to do it. See, oh, my God. I can't believe we're talking about Kevin. <laughs> I know. It's incredible. But so just to, knowing what I know of the Wizards front office uh, from my interactions with them, et cetera, is that they they have a, an incredible ability to talk themselves into things. So. My guess is that they looked at that and said that this would be a win-win, that Brooks was a good coach and that if they could get Durant, great, then they would have Brooks and they would have Durant and it would be this wonderful thing. And that if Durant didn't come, they would still have Brooks, who was a good coach and who had done a good job, um, you know, quote unquote, developing guys like Durant and uh, Ibaka and Westbrook. And um, I guess James Harden, too. Or was Brooks the coach then? I guess so. Yeah. And now, yeah, yeah. you know, how much credit the coach actually, you know, Brooks actually deserved for that? I, I don't know. You know, he, at least at very least, he didn't ruin any of those guys, you know, and that's that's something in itself. So now the I don't know. That sounds like a banner that. That that sounds like a should be a banner hanging somewhere right. in uh, in Capital One Arena. Well, that, you know, I, didn't ruin the development of these players. It's the kind of thing that uh, that that this organization likes to celebrate. Well, yeah, and contrast that, say for example, with the development of Wall and and Beal and Porter to a, a lesser extent as well. But th those guys under Randy Whitman, where they both came in shooting tons of mid range jumpers, playing in really inefficient ways that Whitman, you know, from his, you know, mid eighties understand, you know, knowledge of basketball had decided was a good way to play. And so they, they came in playing in a way that hasn't really served them particularly well going forward. They've been very good anyway, but we're talking about like wall, for example, is a guy I think who had the, at least the physical tools and things like court vision and, and overall skills to be a pantheon, point guard, you know, to be an all-time great point guard. And he's not. He's not. He's very good. He's easily the best point guard in Wizards history. Yeah, well, yeah, he's the best point guard in Wizards history, and he'll retire with a ton of Excuse records. Me. But uh, Gilbert, Are Gilbert Arenas would like to have a word. Well, Gilbert peaked at about the same level that Wall did. Um, but right. Wall has, has will end up with the better career in part because well, assuming he doesn't like wreck his knee the way he gets just there. longevity, yeah. right, right, right. That's fair. Yeah. So, but the the point is, is that you know Wall is still doing stuff. I mean, there's still things like he he still doesn't use screens correctly or as optimally as he could. Correctly isn't the right word, but he could use screens better than he does. That that's like, and he, he still takes too many mid range shots. He's is it's gotten better this this season. His his shot profile has gotten a little bit better, but. And his shooting has improved and that kind of stuff, but he still turns it over too much. He's still, you know, you, you still have teammates who are get the ball or don't get the ball based on his whim, you know, th those kinds of things. So, but back to sort of what we were talking about, which is what Brooks could do is, you know, I kind of feel like they, they need some, some way to change the culture. And I don't know that, that Brooks could do that. I've gone through in my professional life a couple of culture changes. And one was by a leader who was entrenched. He'd been there for a while and he um, led the organization through a major culture change uh, that was painful. It took a couple of years, but was 
ultimately much better. And then another one where we an outside guy came in. Was it, was this leader's name Sam Hinkie by any chance? <laughs> no. That would have been okay. fun to work for Sam, but uh, no. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, Brooks could do it. The, the The problem is, is, of course, that the clock is ticking on this group. You know, you've got Wall at yeah. 28 I years mean, old. And, you know, players like him don't age all that well. And he's probably got another couple, two, three years, good years left. And then after that, he's probably going to be declining. So, I mean, organizationally, we don't have firsthand knowledge of, of, of what the problems are, right. what's going on. But they clearly need they need something to draw them together, something to um, to galvanize around. There's got to be some event or something where these guys say, okay, it's just us and we're, um, we're the only ones that can fix this and we got to... Um, we got to do it together and it's got to be something drastic because, you know, if they didn't, if they weren't there after one and three or one or one and four or one and six, I don't see why they'd be there after one and seven. And the other thing, you know, I think about Bull Durham, you know, it's a shame that, uh, what, they need a rain out. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. It's a shame that, um, that basketball is played indoors because these guys need a rain out and, uh, they need to get shit faced together, and they need like um, to run into ice dancers on the road, or or, <laughs> um, or, or, or whatever. But like, they need a bye week. <laughs> the, you know, there's just they are running out of time, and and so that is a perfect segue into one of our favorite discussion topics, which is Ernie Grunfeld. Mm-hmm. So think about it. You know what's going on in Ernie's mind and in Ernie's world right now. So. The Wizards are $9 million into the luxury tax. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and are terrible. You know, that is, I don't care what your circumstances are, how deep your owner's pockets are, what market you're in. That's that's not tenable. That's, that's unacceptable. And, uh, you know, I'm working under the presumption that Ted loves Ernie personally. And by the way, like, I know people who know the Grunfelds of multiple generations, I am told by several by several people who are not connected to one another that Ernie Grunfeld is an absolute prince of a human being. And so it, you know, I think it's very easy, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I'm told. And I think it's very easy as a sports fan to direct, you know, hate, for lack of a better word, at an individual that you um, don't know because... They're doing a bad job, but the the reality is that you know Ted has financial realities. He has partners that he has to um, be responsible to, mm-hmm. and so no matter how much he lo- may love Ernie, no matter how much of a prince Ernie may be, you know the Wizards are one and seven. Normally, when teams are one and seven, they fired their coach. Well, they fired the coach that Ernie. Uh, they, they you know if they were to if Ernie were to go to ownership and say, I think we need to fire the coach. Ownership's going to say, "Dude, this is the guy that you told us to invest thirty-five million dollars in. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're bleeding money." Like, I, I is so. The question is, has Ernie finally boxed himself into a situation that he can't get out of? You know, has he run out of lives? And and is this, is this finally where it ends for him? Because any any overhaul, any culture change. Like it's it's pointless to you know it's super fun to get on the trade machine and um, say all right we're gonna trade this guy for that guy and you know replace Brooks or whatever but 
the the constant with the organization is is Grunfeld. And so, you know, however good he is as a as a human being, he's not an effective general manager. It's just it's it's clear and and it's not controversial at this point. Mm-hmm. So, is this like how do you think this is going to play out? You think he makes it through the season? Do you think, you know, where does What's Leonsis thinking right now? What would you be thinking? And what do you think Ernie's trying to do? Boy, um, <laughs> this is this is one of those questions. It's virtually impossible to get into Ted's head on this because there have been so many instances along the way where you would have, where I would have thought that the obvious move would be to replace Ernie Grunfeld and to change out the front office. Whether that it was even just promoting somebody from within or going outside the organization, you know, either one, and he hasn't pulled the trigger. You know, I've like kind of joked that on you know Twitter and stuff that I expect Grunfeld to retire from the Wizards in like you know ten or twelve years when he's good and ready. Yeah, I mean, he's only sixty three. There and uh, <laughs> it's. It, it would come on, man. It would seem come on, man. It would seem like if I was, it would seem to me pretty obvious that he should be replaced and that they should clean out the front office and sort of start over there because the, what they've created, they've they've now managed to through all of their moves, through all of their management, through all of their great decisions, they've managed to create a whole series now of dysfunctional teams. You know, you had the romper room teams of JaVale McGee and Nick Young and, and you know, Gilbert Arenas, as great as he was, was enabled to... Seven-layer Dre. Yeah, to do... Yeah, oh, God, you know, Dre Blatch and, I mean, they... they uh, with uh, Crit, uh, Javaris, and um, it, you, you've got all... Like I say, the romper room teams, right? And then yeah. it seemed to sort of clean up and get better, but we're sort of back to the same same situation where... The, the guys hate each other. They don't play play together. The culture of that locker room is pretty poisonous right now. And so it would seem that it's it's about time to replace that front office and maybe the coaching staff too, probably the coaching staff, and to also, you know, look at changing players out so that you can change the culture. But, I you know, I think, though, with the, the players, and, you know, if you bring in a change agent at the top, they can put into place the kind of initiatives, you know, some of the corporate kind of stuff where you consciously, purposely go about changing the culture of the organization. And you, you do it every day and you stay consistent with it. And it it's something and you insist that the players adhere to certain things. And you, you can do that. And and I think that they need to look at the Wizards as like the, the players and need to do this is to, to take a look at not, like, what are the goals? What are they playing for? And then also look at how are they going to work together and interact together, you know, and and the passive aggressive jealousies and that kind of stuff that that all needs to go, you know? Well, look, I, I think that, yeah, and look, I don't think the Wizards are the only team that's got passive aggressive jealousies. Um, no, but it's from the top guys, though, that's a little that's a little more challenging. That's fair, but I'm sure that there are good teams that have those things too. What I was going to say, and I want to get back to Grunfeld in a second, is these changes that you describe, like they're not quick. And and the top guy, this seemingly top guy, 
as you said, John's John Wall's, you know, 28. He's starting a Supermax extension next year. Yeah, like, okay. I am super, you know, th- this this makes me a bad fan to, to some people. And I, I really like and appreciate what John Wall has done for the community and the way he, you know, the way he's connected himself to the region and specifically the city. But, you know, I am very dubious that any sort of culture change could take hold in time for it to matter as it relates to John Wall, who's, you know, we're going to, it's his ninth year in the league. He is what he is. Um, But, but back to Grunfeld for a second, like I just, he could be here until he's 75. I, you know, maybe it's a little Pollyanna of me, but I just, I, 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 I tend to doubt it at this point. Like you can't, you can either be bad and cheap or you can be good or expensive, but you can't be bad and expensive. And there's just uh, the strange thing that, you know, you, you talk about it sort of like there, there, there've been so many times during Grunfeld's run when it, it would have made sense for Leonsis to say, thank you for everything that you've done. Why don't you, you know, move a little further upstairs and let's make a transition. But Leonsis he owns the Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals, mm-hmm. okay? George McPhee was the general manager of the Capitals for a really long time. They were much better than the Wizards ever were, but they had these systemic issues. They couldn't get over the hump. He makes the change to Brian McClellan. He goes in-house. You know, They were looking at going outside the organization, and then what's reported is that McClellan... When he met with Leonsis, he basically said, this is all the things that you're doing wrong. And Leonsis was impressed by that. And a couple years later, they win the freaking Stanley Cup. So, I, you know, Leonsis is, is, is somewhere between notorious for or lauded for his extreme loyalty. And, you know, I, I, I can't hate on the guy for, um, for, for believing in people and and wanting the best for his people and at the same time he's got this example right next to him of here's an organization that just wasn't living up to its potential we made a change and we're champions and and here are the wizards and and you would think that like he's just he does not make the the cognitive connection between the two and it is so weird and you know it's I'm way past like frustrated with that. Like uh, it's just, it's just into the bizarre. Yeah. I would agree that it's strange, especially since he, like you said, pulled the trigger on his other major sports team, right. And won a championship. And so it's kind of like, well, why wouldn't you give a shot to replacing Ernie and, you know, promoting Tommy Shepard? That would be a similar kind of move. I, I don't think that really fixes what's wrong with the team. I mean, for them to be a true like title contender, they need an elite talent. They don't have one, but they that's what they need. But to make noise in the Eastern Conference, to get into like the top four, and to um, you know try to make a deep playoff run, and maybe even say reach the finals, I don't think that they could compete with you know the teams that are at the top of the East. Certainly not Toronto or Milwaukee or Boston, <laughs> but you know they could get into that top four perhaps. Theoretically, but to do that, I just think they need to change the culture of the team and how they work together. And uh, that is something that 
is going to take it, it's going to take probably more time than they have for this season. Yeah, you know, it's we've been having one of the things that that struck me this week is how long we've been having these same types of conversations. <laughs> so there was a there was a uh, a city paper article this week about the Wizards where David Mallets, I think that's how his name is pronounced, he was quoted as a as a noted um you know, wizards, Twitter personality, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he's someone who we've been interacting with for years. Sure. And then our good buddy Wiznuts, um, <laughs> uh, you know, jumped in and said, because it remarked at, at, uh, at his age that he was 38 and, and Wiznuts was like, holy shit, we're so old. We've been doing this for so long. Yeah. Like we have been having like, so, so, if you are in the subculture of like you and I originally met on a on a Wizards fan message board, mm-hmm. right? Yep. There's a you know there is if you are part of the Wizards um, fan community in in any um, capacity beyond just like talking about it with with people in person, but you know if, if you're a Wizards online fan. You've been having these same discussions for literally a decade, yeah. more than a decade. Um, you know, we we have known that, um, God bless him, Ernie Grunfeld does not, you know, ha- has has learned consistently learns the wrong lessons yes. about um, when things don't go well. We know that, you know, yes, the Wizards don't have um, elite LeBron Harden level talents but they also don't have enough good players we also know that like he just doesn't understand what contributes to wins and losses on the court and so the wizards don't have enough players that are good so um you know so you trade a you know viable rotation player in march and gortat for a bad player in austin rivers and i understand all the context around that and blah 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 but you trade good players for bad players and and you get a bad result. Now that is compounded by the fact that you have a coach that also thinks that Austin Rivers is good and is playing way more minutes than Thomas Sadoransky who happens to be good. Like that's this, you know, this other crazy thing that's going on is that the you know, the Wizards have a good player who is not playing, who 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 could really help them. It's the same thing that we've been talking about forever that they they don't know at any level uh what good players are and therefore they don't have enough good players and therefore they're not good yeah and that uh shows up in a lot of ways that mis evaluation their ability to miss on evaluations repeatedly in in all kinds of different ways but one of the big ones is like for example giving john wall that supermax contract that we've talked about they're treating him as if he is one of the absolute elite players in the league, and he's not. And when you pay somebody the kind of money that he's going to be getting, which is a problem for the future, of course, but when you pay somebody that kind of money and he's not going to produce at that kind of level, you've now created a problem for your team because now if you want to win, you've got to get that production from someplace else. And Well, I think the last time we did a podcast, which was basically a year ago, it was a problem for the future because the Wizards were coming off a 49-win season 
And there was some feel good around the fact that Wall said, look, I don't want to be a free agent. You know, I don't want to test free agency. I want to be here. You know, you, you, you sounded the alarm a little bit on unless things change, this is going to get ugly. And, and, you know, as per usual, you were right. <laughs> um, and it is now a pro it's not a problem for the future anymore. It's a problem for the present because, um, you, you know, you look at the teams who could conceivably talk themselves into trading for John Wall, and it is a very small group um, because in, in a capped system in the modern NBA, uh, there, there are not a lot of scenarios in which it makes sense to hellaciously overpay to for um, a guy who is on the, you know, we don't know how close he is, but he relatively soon he is going to enter the decline portion of his career. Um, you know, there, there are just not a lot of teams that, that are going to want that guy that need a point guard, um, you know, particularly who plays the way Wall plays. It's not to say that Wall's not good. Um, Wall is good. But when you look at the sum total of his value, um, that Supermax contract is a problem now. As you look at things like, culture changes and um, reboots and, and um, you know, rebuilds on the fly or whatever you want to call them, there are not a lot of uh, logical trade partners um, for John Wall. Uh, and that's, that is another risk that the Wizards took, whether it was calculated uh, or how calculated it was, uh, you know, we don't know, but it's, uh, they... They, they signed into this extension and and it's hurting in a lot of ways right now and it's going it's going to reverberate the way other bad contracts have reverberated you know going back to to Juwan Howard or mm. Lorenzo Williams or uh, or Gilbert's extension or Jan Mahinmi or Andrew Nicholson like these things like you don't just make a mistake with a contract and then say oh that sucked you know, we didn't win as much. Like these things will continue to have implications for a while. And so I'm not in as good a mood as I was when we started talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. They still have talented players and, you know, I've been, I still, I'm getting less uh, optimistic, you know, with each passing loss. You know, I really thought that last night, especially the way they started that game where I was worried about the defense in the early going, but, you know, I was like, well, the, the offense is rolling and they're, you know, competitive and maybe the defense picks up because they're they're getting baskets and they're they're feeling good and competitive. And then Brooks went to basically that, uh, you know, the bench lineup and catastrophe. Uh, but they have the talent, of course, to still get into the mid 40s of wins and to, to still make the playoffs. But, you know, it's it's not it is a crisis because they're getting beat by so much. You know, if you look at what their, uh, you know, it's like scoring differential is their efficiency differential teams that end up good usually don't start like this and certainly not getting blown out. That's, that's part of the thing that's concerning is that they're getting stomped. And um, yeah, they have the, I think they have the worst point differential in the Eastern conference. Like they're, they're not losing close games. Like yeah. they're just, they're just, you know, to put on my Zach Lowe hat, they're just bad. They're bad. They're just bad. And so there's a long way. There's a, they don't need to tweak some things. Like 
they need to get a lot better very quickly. Um, I want to touch on one last thing because we're running a little long and people's commutes aren't <laughs> this long. But the media, popular subject today. This is actually a very good time to be a Wizards fan from a from the standpoint of coverage of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, the Athletic is Fred Katz is killing it. Yeah. Um, and, and he is a, a great follow and a really good writer and he's insightful and the sports capital guys, they produce good content. And now with NBC Washington, it's good to see those guys landing that gig. But that said, one of the really weird things I, I, uh, about the media coverage of the team is that no one in mainstream print media, I should say, because, uh, Danny uh, Ruye on 106.7 talks about Grunfeld a lot. But but no one in print media will just stand up and say, Ernie Grunfeld is the problem and has to go. With the exception of Tom Lavero, but he's not really mainstream. You know, he, uh, it, it's it's just weird. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, it's this weird thing about this market where it's like, if this were New York or L.A. or Chicago, like Philly. The, the media... Or Philly, yeah. The media would say, "Look, the obvious problem, the obvious constant over the last, you know, how, you know, decade plus of underachievement is the guy in charge. That's what needs to be changed." And I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's because they uh, they restrict access to people who are critical of them. I don't know what it, what it is that there's this. There's this thing that, you know, it's very unseemly to comment on, you know, to say that, that people should lose their jobs. And I understand that on a, a certain level. And it, the counter to that is, you know, how Leonsis likes to talk about a Poland telling him that sports teams are a public trust. Like, you know, th- this matters to a lot of people. And, and so it's just weird mm-hmm. that no one will say Ernie Grunfeld should be replaced as as the president and GM of the Wiz, people dance around it. But I, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe they don't have the opportunity because he doesn't talk to the media very much. I don't well, know. Well, I mean, there's there's plenty of opportunity for people to question the construction of the roster and to tie that back into the fact that Ernie and his top lieutenants have been in place for 15 years. And that every single player, every single coach was hired by Ernie Grunfeld, was chosen by Ernie Grunfeld and the people who are in the front office right now. You know, his top guys have been there that whole time. And when you talk about the media, yes, it's true that that we have a lot of good content, especially in terms of looking at how the game is played and, you know, that sort of thing. That There's really good stuff being done. But it's also telling that some of the more interesting sort of behind-the-scenes stories about the Wizards come typically out of the New York press. They come from the New York newspapers. And that's a really interesting (laughs) thing that we don't have time to delve into (laughs) too much today. But it is interesting that the New York papers get those stories about the Wizards. It's something that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or does it? Connect the dots. And on on that um, spicy meatball, maybe maybe we should wrap up. It's it's good to... uh, we we talk plenty, but it's 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 good to talk into microphones again. And uh, yeah. if if people want us to, we'll find time to keep this going. Kevin is on Twitter at broom underscore Kevin. Yeah. Yes, that I'm correct. at underscore <laughs> Ben Becker. Um, th- 
Thank you again to Bullets Forever for blasting this out. And look, Wizards fans, it's probably not going to get a lot better anytime soon. There are ways... If, if there are ways to enjoy this basketball season, like if you are lucky enough to have NBA League Pass, man, watch the Toronto Raptors, because that is a beautifully constructed team. You know, Masai, Masai Ujiri is, is brilliant. They play, they are playing such good, fun basketball right now. You know, appreciate the game for what it is. Continue to root for the team the way you see fit. At some point, it'll get better because everything does. And please vote. Please vote on, uh, on Tuesday.